This program is presented by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Welcome to our podcast series on CDC's Ovarian Cancer Demonstration Project. I'm your host, Jake Glenn. Did you know that ovarian cancer is the fifth leading cause of cancer death among women in the United States and the second most common type of female reproductive cancer? Today, I spoke with Kelly Smith and George Andosha from the Rhode Island Department of Health about their CDC demonstration project to increase gynecologic oncologist involvement in the treatment for ovarian cancer. While there is no simple and reliable way to screen for ovarian cancer in asymptomatic women, a woman's chances of survival increases if her treatment is given or directed by a gynecologic oncologist. So let's meet our guests. So I'm C. Kelly Smith. I'm the Comprehensive Cancer Control Program Manager under normal circumstances here in Rhode Island, but I am currently deployed full-time. So I wrote the original application, engaged our cancer coalition in the initial work, designed the project with our partners, helped them to do that, and helped to lead the planning process until I had to step aside during the pandemic due to COVID-19 deployment obligations. And I'm George Andosha. I'm currently the Acting Comprehensive Cancer Control Program Manager, thanks to COVID. And previously and during much of the time I was involved in the Ovarian Cancer Project, I was the Comprehensive Cancer Control Program's Policy Systems and Environmental Change Specialist. So like Kelly said, I I stepped in to take over coordination of ovarian cancer-related activities and work with the task force when Kelly was pulled full-time into her COVID-19 work. Excellent. So Kelly, what motivated you and the Rhode Island Department of Health to apply for this demonstration project? There are several ovarian cancer survivors who are really active in the Partnership to Reduce Cancer in Rhode Island, which is our state's cancer coalition. Through the eight years that I've helped to lead CCC work, they have asked me to help them or to help identify more opportunities to do ovarian cancer-focused work. This project came along, and I know that they would be interested. I pulled them to find out whether, whether they thought that they could help to support it and to do the work if we applied and were selected, and they were extremely excited about it. Ovarian cancer is not a cancer that's typically addressed by NCCCP programs because there's not a recommended screening protocol in place to speed early detection and to improve outcomes. It's a rare cancer, so not one that's addressed in most of our work plans, but it is an important cancer. And if there are things that we should do to help improve survivorship, then I believe, and so does our Cancer Coalition, that we should focus some of our energy on those. Great. And what would you say was the Department of Health's overarching goal in participating in this demonstration project? So we certainly wanted to energize our Cancer Coalition by offering them a project that we knew would excite them to work on. And we also wanted to make sure that providers in our state are doing everything that they can to speed diagnosis and referral to gynecologic oncologists. So for those reasons, it really seemed like a good fit with what we wanted to do. Very good. Let's talk a bit now about the strategies you selected for this demonstration. You developed and hosted a webinar and a roundtable discussion for healthcare providers, hosted survivors teaching students workshops for healthcare provider students, and developed a toolkit. Can you briefly describe each of these strategies and talk about the goals of each? We'll start with the webinar. So we did a webinar that was primarily for providers and it basically was meant to update them on the latest treatment protocols for ovarian cancer and explain via data the benefits of referring patients diagnosed with ovarian cancer rapidly 
to um, GYN oncologists. And so we also wanted to educate providers specifically about the survivorship benefits that were associated with this rapid referral and also to introduce the current guidelines for and capabilities of genetic counseling and testing for those with familial histories that could lead to predisposition to ovarian cancer and some other cancers as well. And the roundtable discussion? So the roundtable event was really designed to highlight the roles of a variety of medical professionals and what they can do to expedite the diagnosis of ovarian cancer. So to do this, we convened a professionally diverse panel of experts um, that included a medical oncologist, gynecologic oncologist, a gastroenterologist, gynecologist, and a um, cancer genetic counselor um, who would respond to a composite case study really to explore practices to facilitate rapid referral and early diagnosis. Really, the goal of this conversation would be to illustrate the importance of multidisciplinary collaboration in the care of ovarian cancer patients and kind of to demonstrate the role that, again, all these different healthcare professionals um, and specialties can play in improving patient outcomes. Excellent. Thanks, George. Kelly, can you briefly describe the Survivors Teaching Students program? Sure. So Survivors Teaching Students is an evidence-based program that's offered by the Ovarian Cancer Research Alliance. And it basically it introduces healthcare professionals who are in training to the personal impacts of ovarian cancer upon survivors and helps them understand why it's important not to delay differential diagnoses, particularly the impact that such a delay can cause for someone who's a survivor of ovarian cancer. It also allows students opportunities to learn about cancer survivorship directly from cancer survivors because the people who present to these students um, are cancer survivors, ovarian cancer survivors. The types of students who were trained on this in Rhode Island um, included nursing students and advanced practice nursing students, some social work students, and also some physician assistant students. And I know that our planning group, which is the Rhode Island Ovarian Cancer Survivorship Task Force, um, is is busy now booking training opportunities for survivors teaching students into the future to make sure that that curriculum stays vital um, and available in our state. Thanks for that, Kelly. And finally, George, can you talk a bit about the toolkit? Sure. Um, So the uh, Rhode Island Ovarian Cancer Resource Toolkit was um, also created by the uh, task force who compiled resources really throughout the project period that could educate and empower primary care providers and um, others like the providers I just mentioned who are involved in the medical care of women to recognize the symptoms of ovarian cancer early and to expedite um, the diagnosis and referral of patients to gynecologic oncologists. Before we move on, you both mentioned your planning group, the Ovarian Cancer Survivorship Task Force. Kelly, can you talk a bit about why and how the task force was convened and their role for this demonstration project? Sure. Um, So our Cancer Coalition has a few very active ovarian cancer survivors, including one of its founders. We knew from past experience that this work would be as strongest if a coalition of the willing planned it together, and specifically a multidisciplinary coalition. And so slowly, like a snowball, this ovarian cancer task force emerged and grew. And they all had such a positive experience of it that they determined that they're going to continue to meet into the future. Um, The task force initially consisted of a small handful of initial stakeholders and the people that they identified and invited to participate. And then we identified the initial stakeholders from among the people 
who are active members of the Partnership to Reduce Cancer in Rhode Island, which is our cancer coalition. Um, so we invited them to assess their own membership and invite others who they thought would help improve the planning process. And that's exactly what they did. Great. Thank you. So how did you go about deciding which strategies to implement? In preparation for this work, we reviewed trends in ovarian cancer incidence and mortality among Rhode Island residents by working with the Rhode Island Cancer Registry Program. Um, We also looked at the national data. Ovarian cancer rates in Rhode Island are quite similar to those that are found in the United States. Uh, And so we also worked with the Rhode Island Ovarian Cancer Survivorship Task Force, uh, again, a multidisciplinary group formed for purpose of conducting the activities that we proposed for this project to gain qualitative data in the form of their ideas about the issues that we were addressing. And this group included several survivors, a GYN oncologist, a genetic counselor, a palliative care nurse, a professor of advanced practice nursing, and representatives from our state's cancer coalition. Perfect, thanks. And how did you evaluate these strategies? Well, the roundtable and the webinar event evaluations were essentially the same. Uh, They both had really similar learning outcomes, and these were required to be completed by all attendees who registered to receive continuing medical education credits and uh, the other continuing education credits that were provided. The assessments included items that ask just for kind of basic background information, including occupation, occupational setting, and reason for participating. And they also rated awareness of the benefits of rapid referral of women with ovarian cancer to gynecologic oncologists, the knowledge of the factors that influence staging of ovarian cancer and how to expedite that process, um, their ability to appreciate the importance of cancer genetic testing and summarize the work that was presented in both the roundtable and webinar, and their intent to access the Rhode Island Ovarian Cancer Resource Toolkit um, and to implement changes and practices that were um, outlined during the webinar. Thanks, George. And for our listeners, CME stands for Continuing Medical Education. And this includes educational activities that doctors are required to complete to maintain, develop, and increase their knowledge, skills, and professional performance to be able to provide services for patients, the public, or their profession. Okay, I want to shift our conversation a little bit. Tell me what made it easier or more difficult to plan, implement, and evaluate your strategies for this demonstration. Let's start with you, Kelly. So yeah, having the bandwidth to take on an additional project was certainly a consideration. We had internal discussions as to whether we could do this with all the other things on our plates. Um, But the deciding factor for us was that our cancer coalition and the ovarian cancer survivors in our midst, as well as some of the providers, were absolutely excited about the opportunity to do this. And so we kind of decided that it would be very synergetically wise to take this on. So I do feel like we should talk about the pandemic more, but I think um, probably everybody is getting pandemic fatigue um, as well. But Um, In terms of, there was never a challenge in my estimation anyway, and George, chime in if you have a different perception, but there was never a challenge of buy-in from the folks who had been, you know, asked to participate in this or who were engaged in it. In fact, you know, they were sort of calling me saying, when can we resume? When can we resume? They really wanted to to plan this, but yet they needed for their own safety um, to be able to do it in a safe way. So the pandemic did throw a major curveball our direction. And George, maybe you can talk a little more about that. Totally. Uh, you know, everybody who was at the table was eager to be there. Um, they were all invested in the products that we were working on. 
and you know everyone had a, a personal connection to the issue. So I think again, it kind of seems weird to to talk about it this way, but I think the the way that we had to adapt to kind of deal with the challenge of the pandemic, not being able to meet in person, having to change the way that we were implementing some of these strategies, in some cases showed us a better way to do things. There was one thing that I actually just thought of that I think was somewhat instrumental in the ability of people, more people to participate, which is not only did people grow familiar with and comfortable with online learning platforms during the pandemics as since we were all meeting that way and we were all continuing our work, you know, remotely. But in addition to that, I think that not everybody had that access to that technology before the pandemic began and were kind of forced to adopt or acquire that technology when the pandemic arrived. So I think, you know, there was no resistance to having online events where us maybe before um, people may have chosen or preferred to attend in person. Thanks, Kelly. Now I'd like for you to both reflect on what were the key successes of the demonstration project in Rhode Island. Can you share your thoughts with us on that project? So, I mean, in terms of what we believe the successes of this demonstration project, I think that we produced some really great provider education products that would help advance the goals of this demonstration project for the next two years, so beyond the end of the project at least in our state. So again, the formation of the Rhode Island Ovarian Cancer Survivorship Task Force, we're not surprised that the group formed, but I know we were pleasantly surprised that they have decided to continue this work as a project of our state's cancer coalition. Also improved accessibility um, of the webinar and roundtable by shifting to the online only platform, the remote or virtual platform, resulted in better attendance and more convenient for presenters. And then finally, um, our state is very fortunate to have, as I've mentioned, a good supply of GYN oncologists and that they are able to see patients who are newly diagnosed with ovarian cancer very quickly. That was reassuring to learn, but the thing that we still have to work on, and I know our task force is planning on working on this, is connecting primary care providers with the understanding of the benefits of rapid referral to a GYN oncologist and also the, the importance of um, doing differential diagnoses quickly. I think the development of the toolkit really, uh, and the people who were at the table working on it made it a really well-rounded resource uh, because you know we were able to tap into the providers and ask the providers at the table, what do you think are the most valuable things and really the most current evidence-based pieces of you know, um, whether it's, it's guidance from national organizations or the most recent and kind of groundbreaking research on the topics or best practices that have been, you know, developed. Any recommendations you might have for other comprehensive cancer control programs that might be looking to implement similar strategies that you did here in Rhode Island? I know I have a few. Um, so first is form a well-rounded team of stakeholders and allow them to help shape the required interventions. And um, by doing that, in my experience, you'll usually get better quality results. Um, secondly, cancer survivors should certainly always help to inform and to shape all of our efforts to improve survivorship. No one has a bigger stake in our success than they do, and their lived experience often leads participants to better understand the importance of that approach. And be willing to add to the value of your project as good ideas emerge. Our toolkit, again, was the suggestion of our task force which was concerned that trainings alone would not give participants the tools that they'd need to implement the recommendations shared via the roundtable. 
multidisciplinary co collaboration coupled with success may lead to sustainability, and it certainly has in the case of our task force. So don't be attached to any particular outcome when you start a planning process. Encourage people around your table to invest their ideas and leverage their expertise and experiences to make your event or your, your products better. Excellent. Now, any plans for continuing or sustaining these strategies or any changes that you envision would be needed in the future to continue implementing these strategies? We plan to continue doing survivors teaching students in, or I should say the task force plans to continue working with OCRA to make sure that survivors teaching students indoors um, in Rhode Island as a as an asset to young medical pro professionals of various types in training, and also that the task force will continue its work in alignment with the Partnership to Reduce Cancer to strive for better outcomes for people with ovarian cancer, whether or not they're diagnosed yet. Wonderful. Thanks, Kelly. For our listeners, OCRA is the acronym for Ovarian Cancer Research Alliance. It sounds like you both did some great work planning and implementing strategies aimed at increasing receipt of care by a gynecologic oncologist among women diagnosed with ovarian cancer in Rhode Island. Thank you very much to Kelly and George for joining me today and for discussing your experience collaborating on this demonstration project. For more information, please take a look at the resources developed by Rhode Island, Iowa, and Michigan for this demonstration. You can access these resources as well as the action plan, which describes the promising strategies identified for this demonstration project and the accompanying toolkit, which is a compilation of tools and resources addressing planning, implementation, and evaluation of the strategies included in the action plan. These can all be found at www.cdc.gov cancer ovarian. Thanks again for joining us. This episode is part of a five-part podcast series that describes the activities, facilitators and barriers, lessons learned, and recommendations from the demonstration sites. Check out the other episodes in this podcast series on CDC's Ovarian Cancer webpage. For the most accurate health information, visit cdc.gov or call 1-800-CDC-INFO. 